Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us today, editor of the Weekly Standard, Bill Crystal. By the way, this week's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Sign up today and get a 30-day free trial and a free audiobook of your choice. So, Bill, it looks like the God's Guns and Gays initiative in the White House is going to continue. They're talking guns this week. They're also pushing forward on immigration reform. Meanwhile, news out early this morning, retail numbers sagging. Look like Looks like the economy is suffering, but I don't hear the president ever talking about the economy. It's all immigration and guns. You know, it's kind of interesting, Michael. Uh, George Bush was reelected in 2004 with, I think, almost exactly the same percentage of the vote as Barack Obama in 2012. He was reelected on a, uh, a foreign policy, national security, in large part. But also, he had said, let's make the tax cuts that were passed in 2001, 2003 permanent. Instead, he didn't make that his priority in 2005. And, and in foreign policy, he let the war in Iraq run down, unfortunately. Um, and instead of focusing on either of those, he decided to do Social Security reform, which he hadn't talked about much in the campaign. It went nowhere, even though Republicans controlled both houses of Congress in 2005. It reminds me a little bit of what President Obama and, and the White House are doing this year. They got this uh, new town happened, so they thought, ooh, it's a moment for gun control. Uh, immigration, obviously, has been around forever. It's an issue. They thought the Republicans panicked after doing badly with uh, the Latino vote and decided they had to be for it. Now the White House has got all of its political capital, really, for now, uh, in on gun control and immigration. Gun control, even if they win, which is by no means clear on the background check, I mean, that is such a tiny, I mean, it just, it, it, it's not going to affect crime, it's not going to much, maybe at all. It's not going to affect uh, uh, these mass shootings much, maybe at all. And really, that's what he's expended all his political capital on. I'm not even sure he's going to get the background checks, but he certainly is not going to get the assault weapon ban, so-called assault weapon ban. Say so nothing of all the much more ambitious forms of gun control they really would like to get. And on immigration, we'll see what happens. Well, look, I was a liberal on immigration in 2006 and 2007, pretty supportive of the Bush-McCain position, thought it was right in policy, thought the party would pay a price for being too hostile to, uh, to, to immigrants. Um, I've actually, I'm more skeptical now of this bill. The, 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 this, there is not a big wave of immigrant, immigrant, immigrants coming into the country. The 11 million or so who are here, there's no crisis for them. Most of them are working and probably working pretty hard and doing pretty well. And obviously there's some issues with sorting out about their kids and their legal status. But the idea that we're going to be steamrolled into some 1500, uh, passing a 1,500-page immigration reform bill with less than a month of, uh, from introduction to passage in the Senate, I think a lot of conservatives, and I'm one of them, are going to object to that, to think this is bad, a bad way to make policy. We're making pretty fundamental policy reforms without thoroughly thinking them through. Things like guest workers, which big business works, I'm not so sure that's the right thing to do when lower-skilled American workers are having a tough time getting jobs. So I'm much more of a skeptic on immigration reform than I was five, six, seven years ago. And I wonder whether that's not true of a fair number of people out there uh, in the country who haven't really been asked their opinion so far in, in the last couple of months. I want the Weekly Standard to lead the uh, initiative in the media to ask all of the supporters of some form of amnesty a very simple question because they never answer it, Bill. And so my question is this. You get amnesty. I wave a magic wand. You get it on Tuesday. What happens to the illegal immigrant who sneaks into America on Wednesday? I can never get the answer to that question because I happen to know the answer, which is nothing. Because the people right. who support amnesty, they will tell you that deportations are inherently wrong. They're immoral, they either because of thoughts about racism or social justice, whatever. So if I can't deport anyone under any circumstances other than if you've committed murder or something, if deportation is fundamentally unacceptable, then you can't have borders. You can't have border security because you can't have border enforcement. No, I think that's right, and it's it's just crazy not to think that passing 
de facto amnesty and even a path to citizenship for those who've come here illegally isn't going to encourage another wave of illegal immigration. It's just hard to believe it won't. Um, right now, precisely because there isn't a path to citizenship, precisely because they don't get much in the way of government benefits, presumably, um, or as much as they might get, uh, presumably that's one reason why the uh, immigration into the U.S. with the economic troubles here has slowed down a lot, which isn't a bad thing. And, and so in some respect, it's been a little bit self-correcting just keeping the status quo. I mean, everyone's unhappy with the status quo because there are kind of crazy and irrational aspects to it. But I, again, I think the market for imposing a, quote, comprehensive bill, that part is the part that gets me. Conservatives have spent the last three, four years correctly saying how crazy it is, what a fatal conceit of central planning it is to think that a bunch of people in Washington can write 2,000-page pieces of legislation and reform hugely complicated economic systems, social systems, and the like. We've made that argument on health care. But now it looks like some conservatives and Republicans are going right down that road on immigration. If we need to give, if we want to give high-skilled workers more visas, which I'm for, if we want to have kids who come here and get PhDs from MIT stay here and start companies here, let's just do that. We don't need to fix every, if you want to make employers more, you know, use E-Verify, let's just do that. If you want to have border security, let's just do that. But let, let's do this. There really is a principled and sophisticated policy argument for doing this in pieces, the way it's, as opposed to one big comprehensive bill. The way it's been portrayed is sort of, well, that's just people putting obstacles in the way of, of, of legislation. But I, I really think there was a real art reason why conservatives decided a few years ago, let's do these things in chunks, not in one huge piece of legislation. Then there's that whole crazy rule of law thing, which some conservatives right. try to cling to. I know that's, I, I know it's a passe notion, Bill Crystal. And then there's also, you know, you've talked a lot in our podcast about how the Republican Party needs to be a party of affirmative ideas, not just rejecting bad ideas. And there's a group of people that are waiting for someone to champion their cause, and they are legal immigrants, legal immigrants who are fighting with illegal immigrants oftentimes for jobs and legal immigrants who find hindrances in their way because of the mess of, uh, of illegal immigration in the United States. No, I think that's right. And, and um, I, I just saw someone here in New York who's the son of legal immigrants and, and who's not a liberal on immigration reform and not out of any resentment against those who came later or who even came illegally. And he's not for some massive crackdown on these people who were here, but there really is a, I, I wonder how the politics of immigration reform are really going to play out. The Republican elites, as always, have totally panicked in the most simple-minded way. You know, they did badly with Hispanic voters, let's pass immigration reform. The polls have changed some on same-sex marriage, let's panic and right. pretend that we're for something that we've just said spent the last 20 years saying would be a major mistake, or at least should be left to the states and not imposed by the courts. I mean, it really does not behoove a political party to act in that way. Margaret Thatcher, whom we've discussed before on, 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 on this podcast and who uh, is on the cover of the Weekly Standard that, that, that uh, just is going to press right now, um, you know, she didn't really, she didn't do what she did, both incredible political success and incredibly important policy consequences and success by chasing the latest trends. Uh, speaking of the current issue of the Weekly Standard, what can we expect in the upcoming issue, Bill? We have a nice cover package on, on Margaret Thatcher and her significance, Chris Caldwell, Erwin Selzer, um, really, Gertrude Hillefarb, and I have a piece, a really wonderful, uh, I think really good pieces. Uh, the other three are better than mine, but I think they're all good <laughs> enough. And, um, you know, and I think what people forget about her, she, you know, everyone now looks back with nostalgia and all that, how controversial she was at the time. The point I stress is that, you know, she was a successful prime minister because she was a successful leader of the opposition first, and she was a different kind of leader of the opposition uh, people don't know this. That you, you know when she was dubbed the Iron Lady? You know who first called her that? No. It was the Soviet Army newspaper after a speech she gave as leader of the opposition 
in early 1976, she gave a Reagan-like speech about the Soviet threat. She quoted Alexander Solzhenitsyn. She quoted Daniel Patrick Moynihan, who was then the UN, U.S. ambassador to the U.N. And then the, and the Soviet Army newspaper said this crazy woman who runs the Conservative Party, leads the Conservative Party in Great Britain, uh, she's an iron lady, should be terrible for peace, hope, hope for prospects for peace and detente and progress. So she was the iron lady in opposition before she was the iron lady uh, in, in power. And, and that's a real lesson for Republicans today. Someone should look at what Reagan did in 77 to 80, what Thatcher did from 75 to 79. She also, of course, challenged the former prime minister, Edward Heath, to become leader of the party. She defeated him in a, in a, in a parliamentary election among conservative party members. So that kind of tough uh, willingness to fight within the party, to take on the party elites, to, to, to be for a positive reform agenda and a bold agenda and to criticize the past policies of conservative governments in the case of Britain as well as mm-hmm. labor governments or in our case it would be to, to be different from Republicans of the past not just uh, anti-Obama I think that's something that Republicans today and younger conservatives really can learn a lot from looking at Thatcher. I look forward to seeing the current issue of the Weekly Standard when it comes out in just a day or two. Bill Crystal, thanks so much for joining us for the podcast. This is the Weekly Standard Podcast brought to you by Audible.com. Sign up today and get a 30-day free trial and a free audiobook of your choice. Be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.